Some people are uh, excited that there's a new Star Wars movie out. Did you hear about the Christmas scene? Where Darth Vader goes to Luke and he says, Luke, I know what you're getting for Christmas. And Luke says, no, how do you know this? And Darth Vader says, I felt your presence. All right, so maybe, maybe you're not a Star Wars fan, or you don't know what I'm talking about. But you do know this. You do know that when you find out something ahead of time, like what you're getting for Christmas, it's pretty exciting. I remember when I was little, I was putting something away in a closet, and I saw the thing I had been asking for for Christmas, an electronic keyboard. If you grew up in the 80s, it was every kid's dream to get a Casio SK-1. And I saw it there, and I'm like, that's where they hide the presents. And I knew I was getting it for Christmas. It was so exciting. Knowing things ahead of time is pretty special. Let me, let me uh, get some audience participation here. Uh, raise your hand if you know your name. Good, 100%. Keep your hand up if you knew your name before you were born. Okay, some jokesters, but it went from 100% to zero. Okay, now someone knew your name before you knew it. Someone had planned something ahead of time before you got here. Now, what would you say about someone who did know about their name ahead of time? And not only that, but they knew their purpose, their meaning in life, the character that they would embody. And the role that they would play. That would be pretty unique, wouldn't it? And it has happened to one person, and that's Jesus. We are celebrating him this week and his birth in the world at Christmas. It's coming up this Wednesday. And I'm not sure what Christmas means to you. But I want to present to you this morning what the Bible says about Jesus coming into our world and what that means. And all of the planning and all of the forethought that God had in mind before he sent Jesus into the world, understanding that should forever change your understanding of God, his love for you, and your relationship to him. And so if you see on the title of your outline, the title of our message this morning is Knowing What You're Getting for Christmas. And I want you to see how much God loves you, even in this celebration of Jesus coming to earth. We are going to start with uh, looking at the birth announcement of Jesus. And if you look at the points on your outline, we're going to be jumping all over the place. We're going to look at Jesus' humanity and all the things that are promised about him. And then we're going to go way back in the Old Testament, near the beginning of the Bible, to see that this promise of bringing a savior, a human savior, was mentioned at the very beginning. And something interesting I'll throw out there that you can pay attention for is that Jesus' coming was an answer to a request by a bunch of scared people. See if you can find it. Let's start. If you have a church Bible, we're going to be starting in page 803, which is Luke 131. should come up on the screen. 
We are uh, celebrating Christmas, like I said. And this is uh, before Jesus is born. God sends the angel Gabriel to Mary before she's married. And he says this to her about the upcoming child that she's going to have. Let's find out who we're getting for Christmas here. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Oh, I missed a verse. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, there are some things, seven things in particular, that I want to point out here uh, about the future that only God can know. And he says this to Mary, verse 31. He says, you will conceive in your womb. So she's going to have a baby. She's going to get pregnant, even though she's not married. He also says in 31 that you're going to have a son, not a daughter. He knows it's going to be a son. And he knows his name. His name is going to be Jesus. Jesus' name is the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. If you didn't know that, it's the exact same Hebrew name. It means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. And it's an echo in the biblical theme of the original Joshua who helped lead the people out of the desert into the promised land. Number four observation is that in verse 32, he's going to be great. This speaks to his stature and character and, uh, and who he is. There's something very special about him. Number five observation. He is called the son of the most high there in verse 32. Now, who is the most high? It's God. So this is going to be God's son coming into the world. Verse six, or I'm sorry, observation number six. The Lord will give him a throne of his father, David. He is a king. And with his kingdom, in verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Seven things right there in those three verses that point ahead to Jesus' purpose and his character. And this is who we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, Just consider how unique this is. No one else knows these things about their lives before they come into the world. 1 Peter uh, 120 says that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world. So he knew as God's son, he knew all of this about himself. You know, no one else chooses their own name. Nobody chooses whether they're a boy or a girl, chooses where they're going to be born or what family or country or culture they were born into. Nobody knows the exact purpose of their lives before they are born. Except Jesus. First Timothy 2.5, Paul says it succinctly, Jesus' purpose. He says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so here in Luke, we have this introduction of this man who is incredibly special. He is a king, yet he's a man born humbly to be a mediator between man and God. And this is who we celebrate this week at Christmas. This is who you are getting for Christmas. Why this matters is extremely important. 
Because when you realize your need for a savior, you want this person for Christmas. You want this rescue that he offers because he is a friend and a king, a mediator, and someone that loves you deeply. But first, before you get to that point, you need to know that you want him and you need to know that you need him. So we're on to point number two here. Know what you want for Christmas. Page 56 in the church Bibles. We're going to look at Exodus 19. So in Exodus, God's people were slaves. And he used Moses and Aaron to bring them out of slavery and lead them to a new land that wasn't a desert and that had um, a bountiful, you know, fertile land for them to, uh, to live off of. He called it the promised land. And in Exodus, as they, as they leave slavery, God is very clear through Moses that they have to listen to him. They have to obey, and they have to listen to Moses, who is his spokesman. And earlier in, in Exodus 19, we're going to look at it. We're not going to look at it. But God says to Moses, basically, the biggest shot in the arm he could give him. He said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to come in, in, in smoke on a mountain and there's going to be an earthquake and there's going to be trumpets. And the reason I'm going to do this is that I want people to obey me and I want people to follow you, Moses. So with that, let's look at Exodus 19, 16 through 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought out of the camp, brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. We're going to break there. We're going to skip to Exodus 20, verse 18. But if you have your Bible, you can probably see right in the middle there is the giving of the Ten Commandments. We're not going to, we don't have time to read all those, but that's what we're skipping over. Exodus 20, verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off. While Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's make some observations here. Uh, when God comes down in the cloud, like he said he would, it gets their attention. Notice the thunder and the lightning and the loud trumpet blast. In verse 16, all of the people were there and they all trembled. The Ten Commandments are given. The part we didn't read. And then there's 18 through 21 of chapter 20, which is a repeat, basically, of that first section. Again, all of the people in verse 18, chapter 20, see these things, and they tremble, and they are afraid at the end of verse 18. And all of this leads to a very important reaction and an important request. Verse 19, they're talking to Moses. They say, Moses, you speak to us, and we'll listen. 
But don't let God speak to us anymore or we will die. So it kind of seems like God's plan worked because he wanted people to obey him and understand that Moses is the guy. You listen to him. And that's what they say here. Notice in verse 20 that Moses' reaction is to reassure them, do not fear, in verse 20, even though they might be afraid of such a physical representation or demonstration of God's proximity to them. But he also reminds them not to miss the very important lesson going on here at the end of verse 20. So do not fear this situation, but fear in the sense that your sin may catch up to you. And you might face God's judgment. So that's why he says that God has come to test you that the fear of him may be for you. That you may not sin. So that should be on their minds. Now the fact that these two snippets that I've read on either side of the Ten Commandments are, are not there by accident. God is clearly communicating to his people that they need to obey. And that they need to listen to his messenger. Or his mediator. The one who stands between man and God. And the warnings are clear, too, that if you do not listen, you are in your sin and you are God's enemy. And here the people get a small sense of what it's like to face God and be near him while there's still sin. They see a mountain trembling. They see smoke and loud trumpet blasts. I tried to think of something that might like get our attention like that. The best I could think of is if we're sitting here right now at church and we look up and the church building blows open and fire and smoke and noises, trumpet blasts, really get your attention. What are you going to do at that moment? You're going to be diving for cover, right? What is going on? It's very clear in a moment like that, that you want one thing. You want safety. You want security. You want some kind of guarantee that you will not be hurt. You become singularly focused at these times when your attention has really been gotten. And this story, these people are terrified because of what they're seeing. And God, again, has their attention. And the right thing for them to do becomes crystal clear. Listen to Moses and obey God. You know, we, uh, we experience this if you, if you drive a car, as an illustration. When you're driving down the road and you see like a, a state trooper or a police officer with their arm out the window with a radar gun pointed right at you, what are you immediately aware of? Speed limit. Speed limit, am I over, under, where am I? You become immediately aware, singularly focused. You know, and this happens to us all the time in life. Things that happen that are hard, maybe joyful. Usually there are things, I know in my life, there are things that I dislike in the moment, but they get my attention, help me focus on what's most important. And then when I realize that, I'm thankful for that thing. Our daughter shared something very special this past Thanksgiving, and I I got her permission to share this. 
At Thanksgiving, we were sharing about what we were thankful for. And our daughter, Elise, when it was her turn to share, shared that she was thankful that she was diagnosed with celiac disease and thankful that she was diagnosed with Lyme disease. She had both at the same time. And she shared that she was thankful because those things helped her focus on what's most important. That heaven is coming where there is no suffering and that God is her hope. Boy, did that get our attention. You know, you might be struggling in your faith or maybe you've never believed in Jesus or understood that he is your savior or he is the one that you should be worshiping. But you have to ask yourself, what is it going to take to get your attention? What is that thing that's going on or might go on in your life to bring you to the point where you realize what really matters? See, God wanted in this story, he wanted their attention so that they would listen and obey. And God uses his word and things all around our lives to bring us in attention to him to follow him, to know what we really want and desire at the end of all things is him. So how is he using people around you, circumstances, joys, and pains to get your attention onto him? I hope that you see Jesus this morning. And I hope you understand how much he loves you. This is who we should want. Now let's move on and understand to know what we were promised. Deuteronomy 18, this is page 57, just the next page in the church Bibles. Moses is speaking at the end of his life and he's recalling an event, the event we just read in Exodus 20. And if you remember, the people asked Moses, you talk to us, not God. We're going to listen to you. So here's Moses recalling this event, and here's what he says. We're going to pick out him in, in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 18. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Notice the timing here in this section. There's a lot of future language. Verse 15, there's a future prophet who will be raised up. And in verse 18, it's repeated. God says, I will raise up. Now, this is someone whose identity neither Moses nor the people know about. They just know this person is coming. And this person is a human. Moses says, he's like me. So like me in humanity and also like me in in, in, uh, his specialness as being this mediator between man and God. He also is from among your brothers, In verse 15, so he's going to be an Israelite. Why is this promise made? Verse 16, 
This was an answer to their request. This was the scared group of people that said, we don't want to talk to God or we'll die. We need a mediator. And God says in verse 17, they are right in what they have spoken. These people asked for the right thing. This was a good request for a mediator. Notice the mission of this prophet, verse 18. He will speak and do what God tells him to do. And in 19, if anybody does not listen to his words, they will have to contend with God himself. I doubt the people back in Exodus 20 realized that they were calling for Jesus at that moment, but they really were. In this this, uh, promise of the future prophet here, Moses makes the connection between that request, that moment of fear, and this promise by God to answer it in the form of a human mediator who will speak God's words that will eventually find its fulfillment in Jesus. Now, not only is that crazy, and I know how many years this was, many, many years before Jesus' time, it's crazy to predict the future like that. But there's another thing that I find very interesting here that's going on is that, you know, if you know maybe even nothing of this story, the people hear God's words at this, uh, you know, they see the mountain and everything, uh, but they don't obey. And one of the first things they do is disobey. Listen to this, Exodus 32, verse 8. This is God speaking to Moses. He says, the people have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. And they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. Okay. They saw all those things. And one of the first things they do is they worship something that's not God. So what does God do in, order, in, in, other, in, in addition to predicting the future? What does he do with these people? This is the crazy part. He moves towards them. He takes initiative towards these people who have just rebelled against him, even after all those miraculous signs that they experienced and, and the personal freedom that they've experienced. He promises a solution to their failures And their failure of falling short of his standard. Let me ask you, since sort of the Ten Commandments are kind of in view here, uh, how many people have kept all of the Ten Commandments? Lying, stealing, prizing anything over God. Every one of us has broken his commands and disobeyed and are held accountable. But I really, I pray and hope this morning that you will see two things, that you have broken his commands and that God moves towards sinners. He moves, he he takes the initiative to go toward you in your sin to provide for you. And I called it crazy because it, it's, it's really, it's amazing. God's love. There's a verse that I think is, is crazy in the Bible. It's Isaiah 118. I think it's going to come up on the screen here. So you can read along with me. This is a crazy verse. This is God talking. He says, come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are as red as crimson. They shall become like wool. 
Does anybody else feel like that's a crazy verse? God coming to you and saying, okay, let's talk. Let's negotiate. Let's do something about your sin. Do not doubt his love and his, his initiative towards you. There's uh, many of you know that I work on campus with students, and, and it's fun to, uh, to see students uh, realize who God is for the first time or begin to realize who he is. There's a girl who just posted on social media this week who's uh, learning about who Jesus is and appreciating him more. And she, she made a, a point to say that as Christmas is coming up, she's realizing that Jesus is her Savior, that he is the one who moved toward her and loved her, even though she was a sinner. Draw near to God. This is the God who takes initiative towards you in your sin. And here in Deuteronomy 18, he makes a promise to send a helper and a mediator who's going to be on your side for your good. Do not turn him away. Now, at this point in, in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 18, we don't know the name of this person. We don't know when they're going to come or where they're going to be. But don't worry, the Bible's going to tell us. If you look at point number four in your outline, know what you've been given for Christmas. We're going to go all the way to Acts chapter 3, past Jesus' life, and look at a sermon by Peter. Now, the context for this is Jesus had already died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven, and the disciples are changed people, and they're going out there and they're telling everybody about what they saw and witnessed. And as Peter and John are going to the temple, they, they miraculously heal this guy in Jesus' name and in his power. And the guy is so excited, he's like holding on to them. And all these people show up, and Peter has to give an impromptu sermon. So while this guy is clinging on, here is what Peter says. To the crowds, he says, And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers, but when God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and then he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who had spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you, turning every one of you from your wickedness. Notice the repetition that, that uh, Peter brings up here with all the predictions about Jesus. In verse 18, he says, as this was foretold by the mouth of all of the prophets, okay, all of the prophets, he mentions Moses and Abraham and Samuel by name in this section. In 24, he says, Samuel and all those who came after him. So all the prophets. Okay, you get the idea. Everybody. In verse 18, he says that Christ would come as a man in order to have sins wiped out to fulfill what was promised. And in verse 20, notice 
He says it is of God's initiative. He says these are coming that he may send Christ appointed for you. And this word appointed could also be translated designated in advance. So Jesus was designated in advance for you. And Peter, because he's invoking that all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, he could quote many verses to back up his point. What does he quote? Deuteronomy 18. He says, Moses spoke these things, and that prophet who was to come, who was like Moses, was Jesus. This is who and what we are getting at Christmas. The Israelites of long ago got a glimpse of what it was like to be near God. And they cried for help. And God promised a future prophet like him who would be an answer to the request when they said, do not let God talk to us. We want you, Moses. We understand you. You're like us. And Peter here brings it all together that Jesus is that son of God. He is that mediator. He is human. He is the one born into humanity like Moses, like each of us, like each of us. And we can identify with him except for one thing. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's the one thing, is that Jesus does not have sin. And this allows him to be the perfect mediator between man and God. He suffered in our place the debt we owed to God because of our sin. And that believing in him and following him gives you this opportunity in verse 19. As you turn back, Peter says, that your sins may be blotted out. I actually like a different translation. It says wiped out. Your sins are wiped out because of Jesus. God took the initiative to plan for Jesus' arrival. And on this mission, he came. And so God has orchestrated all of time and history to bring Jesus to this moment that we call Christmas. As Peter says in verse 20, for you. Is this how you view Christmas? It isn't merely a story about a baby, but for you and me, it's an incredible picture of God's movement towards sinners to meet them in their needs. God has orchestrated history for you. Turn to God with your life. Peter says, repent. He says, turn back. In 26, he says, turning everyone away from your wickedness. Turn away from your sin and turn towards God. Remember Jesus' name, Yahweh is salvation. He is salvation. Turn away from your sin. I remember the first time 
that that happened with me and I realized my sin and I realized there was a Savior, that was a glorious and joyful moment. And I I am forced to remind, remind myself of that truth even this morning as I'm thinking about, I'm giving a sermon at church. We all depend on God's grace and his forgiveness. And like I said at the outset, I want you to see Christmas and I want you to see in the Bible here that God cares for you deeply. All of these things were lined up ahead of time when Jesus came into the world. Do you appreciate the level of initiative for you? And are you aware of how desperately you need him? Another student story on campus a guy named Christian, he wasn't interested in Bible study. And he said no to a lot of invitations, but he suffered a sports injury where he got a concussion. And he didn't, you know, when you have a concussion, you're not supposed to watch any uh, films or any TV or anything like that, and you're not even supposed to read. And so this guy had a, uh, a lot of time to think. And uh, I assume that he was—he got better enough until this moment happened. But as he was thinking a lot about life and the point of life and why he's here and why he exists, he walks into class and he sees a Bible sitting there on the floor. It's a sign. He picks it up and starts reading it. And he's aware of his need and he is now interested in learning about the Savior. See, the coming of Jesus is not like we read about in Exodus. He comes in humility, in weakness. But don't let that derail you and allow you to miss what the amazing thing that's going on here. That he is the Savior, that he has come for you. As an as a, uh, application, I would love for each of us to quiet our hearts and take a moment to pray. Uh, worship team, if you want to come on up here and get settled, that would be great. I want us all to bow our heads and, and quiet our hearts and consider Jesus coming for you. Consider that he has orchestrated time and history to bring Jesus so that he could live and die for you. Confess in your hearts your sin and turn back. Rejoice that Jesus was designated in advance for your soul. I'll give a few minutes of quietness, and then pray to transition us.
Oh God, we consider this morning how much you have uh, planned and prepared to bring Jesus into the world to save all of mankind because of our sin and our rebellion. And we are just like the Israelites who maybe even saw a miracle right before our very eyes and then we say, we'll do the right thing and then the next moment we turn around and do the wrong thing. And you deserve, and we deserve to be kicked out. Thank you that you moved towards us in love. Thank you that you provided a way. Thank you for Jesus. God, I pray that we would not look at Christmas in a, a less meaningful way as, as, as just, just another day, but a celebration of, of how you have uh, orchestrated all these various events and taking initiative towards us because of your love for us. Help us to rejoice in Jesus uh, right now and forevermore. We pray this in your name. Amen.